I have a special guest friend of mine, Louise Parry. She'll be hating the fact that I'm calling her out right now. Uh, she's an inspiration. She was in this church uh, for a period of time uh, as a doctor working at the Northern. Uh, and then uh, she got called home to Tasmania uh, during COVID uh, and is an infectious diseases that works there. And she's got an incredible story. But this is the story that you're going to see on the screen. And it's, you know why it's amazing? Because it's normal. It's just a normal story. There's nothing special other than there's a gift of God on her life. She's a doctor. And guess what happened at medical school? A crisis of faith. A bit of doubt. It can happen in life. But we're going to talk about how we address doubt this morning. How we address it and, and what happened. Uh, I'm doing a bit of a buzzkill, but that's the way I roll. Is that uh, she found God in creation, intelligent design. Uh, it ain't no fluke the way we are. God knit us together. God's got purpose in what he does. Uh, so we're going to watch this and then we're going to talk about it together. So my name's Louise and I'm a specialist doctor and I work in the field of infectious diseases. I've studied for many years and I have huge struggles with doubt, especially when it comes to my professional dependent, dependence on science and my faith as a Christian. Many people say that faith and science just don't go together, but my story is more about how these two aspects of my life build each other up. I grew up in a little town in Tasmania in a Christian home and went to a Christian primary school. I was brought up in a relatively conservative church background and I went to Sunday school every week, sometimes twice. And my week was full of Bible stories, songs with lots of actions, and I really liked memory verse competitions. My whole understanding of the world was built on the story of creation and its beauty. At school, I didn't ever really get taught anything other than it, creation. Um, there was no other earth origin story. And even as I transitioned into a public high school, that wasn't taught to me. So growing up, I didn't really question how the existence of God and understanding the natural world could be anything but completely in straightforward agreement with each other. I was pretty shy and pretty studious as a kid and by the time I became a teenager I developed a pretty deep love for science and learning how the body works. I do like other science but human biology is my favourite. But that also came with a pretty deep desire to become a doctor and to learn to help and heal others which I only understand as a calling. I never really remember wanting to do anything else. I can only describe sort of divine convictions or even interventions at periods of time that led me straight into the path of being a, a medical student and then a doctor. Sometimes I wonder why <laughs> I've put myself on a particularly turbulent career path. Um, it's been a bit stressful. Um, but I don't really think I could have gone any other way without landing back at this deep desire to work in the medical field. I understood it that way and certainly my family, my friends and my pastors as a kid uh, taught me to see it as a calling from God. When I moved away from my little conservative country town to the big smoke in Melbourne for medical school, I was 18 years old and my whole entire world was completely opened up to so many new things. Diverse people from different backgrounds with different thoughts and lots of different food I didn't even think existed um, and certainly had never seen in Tassie. Um, I met 
lots of other people uh, who equally desired to help other people but had completely, completely different understandings of nature and of science than I did and they had different faith beliefs and it was during those first couple of years of medical school that I first began to doubt that what I'd been taught from the Bible when I was a kid uh, was right and at the time I was also quite frightened and I was lonely um, and school, medical school was a whole different level of challenge that I'd never ever faced before and it was in all of that I began to doubt that conviction, that call that I was supposed to be a doctor and it actually led to a complete unravelling of my faith in God. Uh, it was towards the end of medical school and it, uh, my doubt and anxiety collided to a point that I actually ended up with a, an actual diagnosis of depression and I, in that time I began to really, really deeply question God, his plan for me, his plan for the world and his entire existence uh, and I can only describe it as kind of wrestling with really difficult questions. And it was at this time at uni I was learning about critical thinking which from a scientific context is like reading research journals and learning to analyse their structure so that when we apply them to clinical situations we, we get a, um, the best that we can to, it, to where it's supposed to be. And of course I felt like that critical approach I needed to apply to the rest of my life and so I began to really critically examine my faith and why I believed what I believed and that's when I began to struggle with the fundamental concepts of, of what I'd been taught, what the Bible says and what, who, who God was. Unfortunately, at the time the church I was in had some quite unhelpful teaching um, and it made me feel quite guilty for questioning like this and so I just stopped going to church and at about the same time my younger and probably much smarter brother had just moved away from home um, and was going through a really similar crisis and I just didn't know that he was going through that and he completely gave up on his faith and announced he was becoming an atheist, which deeply depressed my family. And it made me deeply question that if he was taught the same as what I was when we were growing up, then maybe what I did know was wrong. And he's not as shy as I am, so he gave lots of arguments for his new belief system and I just couldn't find any comfort in understanding it his way. My questions didn't make sense that way. Um, and. When I thought about it that way, I just had more anxiety when I removed a creator God from my questions about how the earth was. And I've since learned it's not a terribly uncommon thing to go through. Lots of people do this and it even has a kind of technical name. It's called a deconstruction of faith. Um, and I wrestled for quite a long time in this kind of deconstructing mode. Um, I stopped going to church. I really examined every belief I had and what I considered was true. It was a really lonely process. I didn't want to involve my family as they were already pretty disappointed when my brother announced he was leaving church. I didn't want to question my friends and I really didn't have a trusted leader that I felt asking hard questions to because I felt like it would just be a, an opinion back of, well, this is what the Bible says and that wasn't what I needed at the time. And so I struggled with the concept of why the world seemed to be in absolute complete chaos. So many people were suffering and the teaching that God was the embodiment of love made absolutely no sense. And 
I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of tears and a lot of crying and some really angry, frustrated prayers. And I came back to that one conclusion that I truly couldn't understand the world unless there was a creator. It was a really deep, strong conviction that there was a God who was out there and therefore understood how the world and how it worked. And for me, there are hints everywhere in creation that someone clever made us just the way we are. One example I had was when I learnt about how the eye works and how sight works, it's essentially at the back of your eyeballs, these tiny little cells called receptors of rods and cones that send messages via a very long, complex nerve uh, circuit right to the very back of your brain and it allows us to see vivid colour in intense detail and quite amazing focus, although I now need a little bit of help with my focus. <laughs> No camera in existence can quite capture it the same. Nothing I get on a camera looks remotely like I see with my own eyes and it's really quite astounding. I can't help believe that it's actually a miracle sight um, and it can't be anything but intelligently and thoughtfully designed. The idea that it happened by chance because all of the cells lined up in the right, the right order just seemed like it required more faith than believing in God. So I kept coming back to that God of my childhood that I'd felt once I'd known personally and knew, um, and I couldn't explain why, there was no rational reason, but I knew that he was there and that he deserved my attention. And so I got through my degree and uh, somehow, and decided to make pretty, uh, a brand new start. I began my professional career in a new city and decided I was giving God one more chance. Um, and I fortunately found a home church very quickly and was able to ground myself and begin to grow again. And I was growing in my career as a doctor at the same time. And in this church I found other people who also asked some hard questions, who saw things a bit differently than what I knew um, or that I'd ever asked and who taught me to think and examine my faith in different ways and gave me the space to do that. It hasn't been completely peaceful. I still have periods where just one question can completely make me come unstuck. But I've learned to sort of embrace the wrestle and the uncertainty. The most important thing I've learned is that doubt will always be with me. I can't know and understand everything and I'm actually not supposed to. Some questions and doubts I can struggle through and find the answers, but there are some issues where it's actually not humanly possible to conclusively find an answer. And that's kind of hard as a someone with a bit of a science bent. It's in those moments I need to choose to trust in God and ask the Holy Spirit for peace in the matter. And it's that peace that kind of passes understanding that Paul describes in Philippians 4-7. And it also covers my lack of understanding quite regularly and brings comfort to my anxiety. And it's at those times where I struggle with scientific concepts and my faith and how they go together, that I've had to remind myself regularly of three things I've learned. So the first is that nature provides many examples of intelligent design and points towards God's, points towards God's goodness. Um, I remind myself that the fact that the earth sits in exactly the right distance from the sun with the right tilt and the right amount of water that sustains life is actually pretty amazing. I'd probably say it's a miracle. And similarly, the way that in the human body, 
one cell talks to another cell and that cell creates an organ and the surrounding cells all sort of work together, the organs work together to allow a human body that can run, that can jump, can see or hear or communicate or even reproduce. It's like wonderfully complex. There's an old Sunday school song I used to sing when I was at school that's based on Psalm 139 and I often get it in my head when I look at these things and it's uh, sort of talking about how wonderfully made we are and that sort of word of wonder is something that I can experience when I learn about it. Uh, the second thing that I have to remember is that science can be biblical and there are examples in the Bible of scientific concepts. Probably the the first one is in Leviticus 17 that I'd found where it describes the life of the flesh is in the blood, which is very scientifically true. Even the blood bank's called lifeblood. <laughs> um, and it's very spiritually true as well. Uh, in Job's discussions, there's a really good description of the way the water cycles from the rivers into the sky and then gets rained back down again. And there's also examples of the Bible being a little bit ahead of its time when you remember that the Bible was sort of written and put together in a period of time where humans understood the world to be flat. Um, Isaiah 40 verse 22 describes God enthroned above the circle of the earth, which makes sense now as I read it, but I can imagine that back um, sort of 500 years ago, that would have sounded completely strange without that knowledge and, and really quite confusing. There are many, many more examples than that. Um, and scientific understanding actually kind of complements the way that you read the Bible to help understand who God is and what it can teach us. And the third thing I've learnt is that science also allows me to worship. Understanding how things work at a deeper kind of level um, gives me more opportunity to marvel at just how clever God is. Um, so I already have told you that my eyes I find quite amazing, but the fact that they can see the process of light refracting through air and through water, and it creates pink and red and orange sunsets over a mountain or over a pretty big body of water. I'm fortunate I get to look at that every day out of my kitchen window. Um, and it reminds me every time uh, just how beautiful God's creation is. It sounds a little boring when you look at the, the sort of scientific process when you put it down on paper and try to understand it. But it's so beautiful when you actually see it. People write songs and paint paintings just to imitate it, to provide a way to worship God's creative character. And for me, learning about microscopic processes, about bugs and, and other structures um, that sustain life um, is quite awe-inspiring to me as well. And so even the study is a way that I can worship um, and praise God that he's just so overwhelmingly intelligent. Um, it hasn't been an easy road. Uh, it's actually been quite painful, but my doubt has allowed me to understand God's love and character in a deeper way and the process has made my faith stronger. Praise God. Do you know, it's funny, when you can leave that there for a minute, Remy, I'll bring it up. Um, everybody has a different story, hey? 
Everybody has a different moment, a different experience. Now, we use Louise's testimony because for me, I, I just think it's so true. The more that you learn about the body, the more you, yes, understand the amazing power of God. But we've all had moments where we've doubted. And I, I, don't, I don't necessarily feel in my case, and there may be some people that are very intellectual and that's the way you think and you process. But for me, I, I, I had a moment and we've all had a moment where I, I remember during COVID in the middle of the night sitting on the floor and it was just too hard. And this was my moment. I was on the floor, it was about two in the morning and I was questioning why, if it's this hard, God, I believe you've called me to it, but everything in me says that maybe I'm not the guy for the moment. And I was on the floor. And I was emotional and I was disgruntled and I had questions and I had this circle of, of thought rotating around that if I act this way, then this will be the outcome. And then, or if I do this, then this will be the outcome. And I had opinions in my mind. I had my own thoughts. I had my own moment. And then it, it, what happens, it manifests itself. I'm on the floor in the middle of the night. There's chairs all around me, but I'm on the floor because I'm sulking. And I'm in doubt. But God helped me get up from that place. You know, there are people here that dreamed their whole life that they would be great parents. But they're beginning to doubt that because they're kids. They won't listen and they won't sleep. Or there might be people in here that go, hey, I had these big dreams for, for my career, but yet the interviews never seem to correlate with work or experience or opportunity. Many different reasons, many different Things that people go through doubt over. There could be a family uh, issue that you've addressed and now it's caused a storm and you're doubting. Was that God who called me to do that? Was that me? I'm not sure. But I want to talk about this morning that God doesn't want you to stay in that place. We're going to address doubt. So there's three things that I feel, and you can come over now, Remy, if you want to, or Jet that I want to address. And we're going to turn to the book of Mark, if you want to do that in your Bibles, to chapter 9. But I felt today that if you are writing notes, I believe that they're running around upstairs, they can't find the guillotine currently. <laughs> but your purpose, your position and your posture is going to be what I want to talk about. And really, this is how the Lord helped me. And I'm actually going to speak in faith this morning. To you, But before I do that, I want to address some things. In order that I believe we move forward in maturity, in faith. But let's start by reading Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 9, verses 14. And before we begin, I, I get, um, if you ever want to get in contact with me, I get text messages while I'm up here. I just want to make an announcement. Is that correct? Uh, it's a bit off topic, but we're just going to go there. The team that won on Friday night, would you raise your hands? Uh, that won on Friday, the guys that were on the table that raised their hands. Somebody's just come in this morning and they've purchased the victory off you. Uh, so uh, talk about that one at the 5 p.m., young adults. So um, Mark 9, 14. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. 
and scribes are arguing with them. So there's arguing going on, there's tense, there's tense in the air. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, being Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you all arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out, and they were not able. And he said to them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into the fire or into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but at the same time, I'm a doubter. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when they entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this Kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And in uh, other manuscripts that they've found and other translations, it also says by prayer and fasting. Purpose. First point that I want to talk about just quickly uh, is I want to set up a context so that we've got a platform to build upon. This is my first point. God didn't answer my prayer. My prayer. So we know what's happening. The, the commissioning of this story is that there's been a prayer that's been undertaken and it hasn't worked. It hasn't happened. The boy has still got the unclean spirit. And Jesus enters the scene and says to him, If uh, the, the father of the boy says to him, If you can help us, if you can help us. And Jesus says this to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. And guess what? I want to let you know this. Jesus was not lying. All things are possible to the one who believes. Now stay with me. Just want to say this very clearly. I 100%. Totally, unrevocably agree and believe the words of Jesus. All things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus is challenging the man by repeating the if. Where is your faith in the if? God can do anything. Do you have the faith to believe that? 
Now, some people are thinking to themselves, but I've prayed with great faith, Charles. I believed. Oh, I clenched my fist real tight and I had no doubt and I believed, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I prayed. I believed. I had faith. Trust me. Jesus, I'm going to say it again, says nothing is impossible for the one who believes because nothing is impossible to our God. But the question is in purpose. The question is not God's ability, but rather His will. God's will. Now, how do we know this? Well, what does Jesus say in, in later chapters in Mark 14, 36? Listen to this. Abba, Father, He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. God's ability, His strength, his power is immeasurable. It, it, it cannot be counted. It cannot be measured. But often we pray a prayer and the prayer of the believer is not this. John, 1 John 3, 21-2 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him, do His will. What about 1 John 5, 14? It says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But yet this is what Christians pray in great faith, God, would you partner with my will? Father, I'm believing in faith for what I want. And then what happens as we pray and we seek God for me, 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 we've all been there, I've been there. It doesn't happen. Because the purpose of the prayer is me. When the purpose of the prayer should be him. Psalm 139, 16 is a scripture that I always look to. And, and I love that uh, with Louise's story. She found faith in seeing God's creation. How he planned and he purposed and he put together the whole body. To me that says very simply that God is an incredible planner. And it says this in Psalm 139, 16, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before they came to be. God is a better planner than me. Maybe I should trust in His will and His purpose when I pray. He's a better planner, which means it's going to be a better outcome. But yet when we pray to God, God, answer my prayer. I am believing in full faith for me and it doesn't work out. We begin to doubt. But the purpose of the prayer was not about God's power. It's about His will. Like we think about it, if we were to go up to your friend and he's painting a roof. And as he's painting that roof, you say to Michelangelo, hey, I've got an idea. As he paints the Sistine Chapel, it's, it's probably a creative idea, but it's probably degrading to the whole project because... He's a better designer and planner than what you would be. I know some people might not agree with that, but trust me, he's gone down in history. God is a better planner, a better orchestrator. He knows what he wants for your life. 
So don't doubt that. Now, in saying that, this is the flip side to that coin. Praying God's will is not a green light to give up praying if it doesn't work out. Oh, I prayed, I sought God, you know, and it didn't work out. It just mustn't have been his will. You know, I just, I just I can't settle with that. Scripture tells us not to. You know, if you go to that friend and they're really unwell, you pray and you believe God for healing and you be in faith because all things are possible to the one who believes. You know, I don't feel that, you, you know, we know that God's will will be sovereign. But the Bible says that we can ask. In fact, it says effective prayer looks that way. So yes, I believe God's will is sovereign. Yes, I believe He plans better. Yes, I want to pray where I align myself with His will and His purpose. That's the purpose of my prayer. But gee whiz, I'm going to ask Him for stuff. It says in Matthew 7, 7, Keep on asking. And you'll receive what you've asked for. Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. The keep on asking means the asking's already begun. The keep on seeking means the seeking has already begun. Keep seeking if you've got questions. Keep asking if you're wrestling with stuff. It says keep knocking and the door will be open. Don't let doubt stop you from entering a place of faith. All things are possible for the one who believes. So Father, we, we seek your will when we pray, but give us the faith to ask in great faith. So the first thing in overcoming doubt is what's the purpose of your prayer? If you've had an experience in the past and things haven't worked out, things haven't gone well, uh, what, has, what have you been praying for? Has it been a prayer of God, partner with me? Rather than God, I want to submit and follow you. The second thing is this, the currency and the position of faith. It says this in verse 24, Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. There is evidence here that shows he has a genuine, open and honest heart. The man says, I've got faith, but it's not perfect. I've got faith, but I'm wrestling right now. But yet we see here that even though he says, I believe, but I have unbelief, Jesus still heals the boy. So that unbelief, that doubt did not disqualify his faith. His faith was present. And that's what sparks the miracle. That's what God responds to. Faith in the midst of some other stuff, but faith. There may be many voices in his world. But today, if you believe, I want to explain to you and re reinforce this. It is not the amount of your faith, but the richness of God's mercy and grace for us. Because faith is potent. We know that in 
Matthew 17 when it talks about and would you believe that in Matthew this is once again the same scenario being outplayed from a different perspective of Matthew and it says because of your little faith uh, for truly I say to you if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you will say to the mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing is impossible for you because even a small amount of faith engages the power of God we are made righteous through faith. As this man approaches Jesus, I look at the position that he says this statement. He doesn't say, I, I believe. I, I don't. I've got some unbelief, but I believe. He positioned his faith at the front. You know, in our life, uh, what can happen is we, we can have faith uh, but it, it gets positioned uh, behind the doubt, uh, behind the questions, behind the busyness. And then what happens is you've got all of these things that you've got to overcome uh, in order for you really to begin to activate your faith. But what I love when I looked at that statement, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. What happens in that statement and what I want to encourage you all to do is if you've got doubt, would you please position your faith at the front? God says in the Word, it says, seek first the Kingdom of God. It says, you shall have no other God before me. God is interested in the positioning of Him in your world. So you know what, in times in life, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to put that faith at the front. Wow, I'm a bit intimidated right now. This is a big faith step for me. But remember, the first statement is, I believe God still moved. Jesus was still moved to heal the boy because there was faith present. If you have doubts, that does not disqualify your faith. Don't let the enemy say that. But what you can do is as you position your faith to the front, prioritize it, get in the right environments, Maybe release some things that you shouldn't have in your world in order that your faith sits at the front. All right, I'm doing this by faith first, in trust with God. Yeah, there may be some doubts that follow, but they're not to be overcome. They're to be in submission to your faith. Because I think you need, and I believe that this is the breakthrough moment for a lot of people in this room, is evaluate your posture. One of the keys in the band, come and join me. In Mark 9, 28 and 29, it says this. When he, they entered the house, so they're out of public viewing. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. When Jesus talked about prayer and fasting in the Gospels, we know that it was something that was meant to be done in private. It was something that was meant to be done with the purpose of being between you and God. And I, and I feel that there needs to be a change of posture. When you look at that Scripture, it's clear what Jesus is saying is that the more that you can 
deepen your relationship with Him, the greater the ability to which God can use you, the greater authority at which you can carry. It's a posture change. You know, during COVID, it was a rough season. I found myself sitting on the floor. I was sitting on the floor. And what I was doing while I was on the floor was I was sulking. I was letting my doubts sit in front of my faith. And I remember saying, Father, how how am I going to overcome the challenges that I have? How am I going to increase my my level of faith, Father? I know You've called me, but right now I feel like my faith is so small and I need Your authority to sit on my life. Now, Jesus says in the Scripture that this type of thing, the, the authority, the increased authority in your world comes through prayer, and fasting, an internal, private relationship that you have with God increases your authority. So while I'm, I'm there and I'm in doubt and maybe it's, you sit on the floor of your life and it's, these kids, I don't know what to do. This workplace, I don't know what to do. This family, this mindset, I don't know what to do. See, they were trying. But Jesus is saying increased authority comes from a change of posture through prayer and fasting. So why don't we change our, pro- uh, our posture from sitting on the floor of life to being on our knees. It was a faith mindset for me. I started praying, God, I thank You that You called me to this season. Father, I thank You that if You gave me those kids, You will help me lead those kids. Father, if You've put me in that workplace, Father, then I will be an influence. Father, if I have this broken mentality, I thank You that I can be transformed by the renewal of my mind. There needs to be a posture change. If you find yourself going down that road of doubt, get on your knees. Through prayer and fasting equals increased ability of the power of God to flow through your life. Amen.